as I said, we're going to look at prayer and the, really looking about how to pray and what to pray. There's no doubt that as we all pray, we, you know, we think about, do I got to say, what do I say? The right thing at the right time, the right posture, the right position, the right length to get my prayers answered. How does that work? Is there a prescription for prayer on how to pray, where to pray, when to pray? The answer is, there is kind of. And we'll look at that this morning. And I thought, you know, we've been looking at prayer over the past four weeks. And we've been looking at everybody else's prayer. Hannah's prayer, the disciples' prayer. And it's like, hey, why don't we look at what Jesus said about prayer? So, in Matthew chapter 6, this is a very famous section. It's in the middle of his Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about prayer. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we'll come back, as I always do, and, and uh, talk a little bit more about it. So it says this, Jesus, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, So that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. So that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So here Jesus is telling believers how to pray and, and by contrast and how not to pray. And so we're going to look at this and, and come up with a few ways to pray. And I hope it helps you and that you leave here feeling confident in prayer. And so in this message here that Jesus is giving, let's look at the righteousness of prayer. And in, very, in the very beginning in verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before man. And in this context, he really talks about three different things, and we're only going to mention one, about practicing righteousness. He talks about prayer, giving, and fasting. And we're just going to mention prayer, because if you notice in verse 2, it was about giving. So this righteousness, the righteousness of prayer, prayer is something that believers should do. It's expected of us. It's a form of religious devotion that we have the privilege of doing. Again, along with giving and along with fasting, prayer is mentioned here. And it's a way that we get to commune with God. We get to talk to God. We verbalize what's in our hearts. 
And we humble ourselves before someone who is greater. If you think about it, we're praying to someone that is a lot greater, that is outside this dimension. And as I mentioned, it is expected of God, in first, expected of every child of God. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, it talks about righteousness or practices of righteousness that believers are to partake in. It says this, If you know He is righteous, speaking of Jesus, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. So again, something that believers should be partaking in and is prayer. Again, it's a way that we commune with God. He even mentions here, Jesus does, that there is a reward for practicing your righteousness. Look at verse 1 again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And as we progress, you'll see that God will reward you. The reward, though, let me say, is, shouldn't be your motivation. It's like, I'm going to pray so I can get something. That is not the heart and the intent of prayer. We'll talk about the motivation of prayer in a few moments. And practicing our righteousness, our religious devotion, shouldn't be done, as Jesus points out here, for the praise of others, but for God alone. We don't act religiously so that other people can see us and go, oh man, that guy's really religious or really holy or really spiritual. That should not be the intent when we do what we're doing. Again, God sees all that His righteous children do, and that should be our reward enough. Matter of fact, know that God sees all that you do in secret. Even if nobody in this room had ever seen you do anything, it shouldn't matter. God sees you. God knows the commitment that you have to Him. Only God knows our hearts. And I'm encouraged by what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 about practicing righteousness, about doing good. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. All that we do for God know, if we never get a reward here, God sees it. And it's not in vain. God is going to work it for His glory and for His good. All that you work on, in relation to serving Him and loving Him. God sees that reward. Even if nobody ever said, hey, thank you, and even if me as a pastor and you, you know, you're serving in the church, I've never said thank you for whatever reason. Know that God sees it, and it's not in vain. The time that you put in here into the children's ministry or to any ministry, know that it is not in vain. God sees it, and God will reward you. It is a righteous act, and prayer is that same righteous act. God sees you laboring for your friends, for your family, for your church. God sees all that. And again, prayer is that communion that we have with God, verbalizing our hearts and humbling ourselves before the one who is greater. So this righteous act, what should be the motive? Look at verses 5 and 6 as he gives us this motive now. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. So the very first thing that Jesus points us to on what should be the motive, he says this shouldn't be the motive. He says don't be like the hypocrites. And a hypocrite is an actor. Somebody who's pretending to be something that they are not. And he's pointing this religious hypocrite out. This person right here, 
whoever he is alluding to, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. So the motive for the hypocrite is so that men would look at him and go, what a great guy or what a great girl. Look at all that they're doing for God. They're praying in front of the synagogue or praying on the street corner. But it's the motivation of that person's heart. They love to be seen praying by others and they love the praises of men. That is their motivation. And he says their reward is going to be not from God, but from the men that say, Gee, you're great. That's their reward, and that's it. They're not really even praying to God because God does not hear them because He sees their true heart. They're hypocrites, they're pretending, they're thus talking to themselves. They are praying to seem religious. And He's saying that's not the motive for prayer in the child of God. Look at verse 6. Instead, He says, He says, but you, so don't be like the hypocrite, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let me just say, the the purpose is, oh yeah, if we pray, nobody can see us, we need to go in a closet and hide and pray. That's not the intent. It's the exact opposite of that other person who's in the wide open for the praises of men. You, though, on the other hand, are to communicate with your heart with God as if you were all alone. As if nobody was around. It's just you and God. And that's what prayer is, even when we do it corporately. We're standing before a holy God, sharing our hearts and crying out to Him or praising Him. This is, the communica- this is what Jesus is communicating to them. Prayer, the motive for prayer is to communicate your heart, my heart, to God. Sorry, I lost my place here. So, if that's the case, then with all your heart, go ahead and pray to God. Let me give you a few examples of prayer from the scripture. People crying out with all their heart to God. In the, turn with me to Psalm chapter 55. Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms has a great, they're just full of great praises and prayers. And just people being real with God. And as we'll see in a moment, sometimes being pretty upset with God. And questioning God. But in Psalm 55, you hear the heart of the psalmist as he writes... Psalm 55, verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and, and am surely distracted because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Just an example of somebody just pouring out their heart. They're so afraid, they're afraid of death. It's okay to express your heart to God. That's who we should express it to. We're afraid, we're worried, things are going bad. And then I like this other prayer of Nehemiah. Turn back a few books from Psalm. 
Psalms. Nehemiah chapter 1. He has a great prayer after hearing about Israel, or excuse me, Jerusalem being left in shambles. He says this in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. He goes, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes upon to, or your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Again, just another example of somebody communicating their heart to God, being open with God. And that should be our motive when we pray. Is like, I want to communicate what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking to God. Not to anybody else who's around. It doesn't matter who's around. So whether you go into a closet and pray or you are on the street corner and praying, as long as your motive is to communicate to God, it doesn't matter. So there's no, as an application, there's no particular place where you need to go to pray. Jesus prayed out in the open. Jesus prayed secretly. Jesus prayed in the synagogue. And as we've been seeing Many believers have been praying all over the place throughout Scripture. There's no one place because it's really a matter of our heart in prayer. So the motive of prayer is, again, to communicate our heart with God and, secondly, to bring glory to God. Prayer, again, is a righteous act that brings glory to God. Let me just give you a few examples of that. I'm going back to our text of Matthew, but going back one chapter to Matthew 5, starting in verse 14. Again, remember, prayer is a righteous act, an act of spiritual devotion. And so Jesus saying here to the believers, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Isn't this a stark contrast to go hide in the closet and pray? Here he's saying practice your righteous acts in front of people. For what reason? So that they may glorify God and not you. The hypocrite does it in front of people so that that person could be glorified. The righteous person does it righteous person does it in front of others so that they may bring glory to God. So guess what? Even praying openly in front of others is not so that, hey, look how spiritual they are. No, so that that might be an opportunity to be a witness to somebody around you sometimes. So pray in public when you get the opportunity to do so. Pray around family members and friends or for family members and friends so that you may bring glory and honor to God. You know, last week we, uh, Ben taught on, on Hannah and her prayer. But in chapter 2, I want to point out something in 1 Samuel. She too brings praise and honor to God through prayer. Glorifying God because of what He has done. 
unlike the lady in Starbucks and like today's message, this is a prayer of thanks. It says this, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. She's praising God through prayer because her prayer was answered. So prayer brings glory to God. You know, the one thing, uh, just a side note for us to think about, because this happens to all of us, I'm sure. Sometimes we fall into that trap of praying before men to seem righteous, don't we? Like, oh, this is the right thing to do as a Christian, as I've been saying. And so we pray with that motive because that's what I'm supposed to do. Again, it's a mo- we should think about it before we pray. Even though it may be something we should do, it should be something that we want to do. Just a side note. So the motive for prayer, again, is for to communicate your hearts to God and secondly, to glorify God. So how does it work out? How do we pray? What's the mode of prayer? Jesus explains this to us in the rest of this section and starting in verse 7 again. He says, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And let's stop right there. So number one, don't use meaningless repetition. What does that mean? It refers to idle or thoughtless chatter. Just speaking just because. Praying without any thought. Or a matter of religious ceremony. Again, ultimately it's a matter of the heart when we pray whether it's a couple words or a whole bunch of them. It's a matter of the heart. Is it meaningless repetition, what you're saying to the Lord? We can fall into that too, use little catchphrases that Christians use. You know, bless us. Does does that have meaning? If it does in your heart and you mean it, then that's great. Bless the world, Lord. Amen. What does bless this food mean? There's things that we do, too, not just all those people outside, you know. It's us, too. It's meaningless repetition. Or what about repetitious prayers that, are, that uh, you've been taught to pray as a young kid? You know, I was trying to think of them. I wasn't taught this as a young kid, but that one, now I lay me down to sleep. That's kind of scary to pray with your kid if you think about it, the rest of that. But what does that mean? Does it have any meaning for you? Or is it just something you pray because it's something you learned? Even this prayer, the Our Father, who art in heaven, there are some who pray, hey, go pray that, and if you pray it enough times, God will forgive you. That is like the epitome of meaningless chatter, if you don't truly mean it. It doesn't matter what you say. Repetitious prayers, again, aren't necessarily wrong, though, if you're truly sincere about it. The second thing that Jesus talks about here is that he says, uh, so do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And that's the second point I want to make here. Don't suppose that, hey, if the more I pray or the longer I pray, God is going to hear me. That's what Jesus is saying. These many words. Again, if you pray this prayer 60 times because you've sinned, 
against God, he's going to forgive you. Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't matter how many words you say. If it's not sincere, I don't hear you. You could say one word and it can be sincere. I think my little son Jonathan's prayers are probably more sincere sometimes than my own because he means it from his heart. So we have to be careful. Don't think because you could say long, flowery prayers that God's going to hear you because you did. He's going to be impressed by you. He could if it's sincere, but if it's not, it's idle chatter, and he doesn't hear you. Or how about sometimes when you think, I, oh, I need to pray this this morning so that I have a good day. That, too, can be an empty phrase, idle is chatter or superstitious. You know, if I don't pray that my kids are protected today, then something bad might happen. Is that how God operates? No, that's superstition. I'm not saying, well, I don't need to pray for my kids because, you know, whatever happens, happens. No, don't do that. Pray for your kids. But make it sincere. Again, it can be a repetitious prayer. You pray every day as long as you mean it from your heart. That's when God hears it. That's when it is powerful. So the mode of prayer is don't use meaningless repetition. Don't think you have to use many words. And I would say this, be intentional. That's the first point. The mode of prayer is be intentional. Again, don't pray out of religious habit, but pray when your heart desires to pray. You're intentional about what I'm going to pray, but I'm not just going to rattle off something because I know I'm supposed to pray. I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to mean it. And I would say this, pray when your heart desires to pray, and then when your heart doesn't desire to pray, still pray. And you might say, well, how does that work? I don't want to pray. Well, tell God you don't want to pray, and tell Him why. I'll give you an example of that. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 10, verse 1. Here's some people that probably didn't want to pray, and they let God know. There was, they were going through some rough times, right? Sometimes we just don't want to pray. I'm mad right now. Or you're mad at God. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Have you ever wondered that, where it seems like God is nowhere near right now? And the psalmist is saying, Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? <clears throat> So there's an example. He's pretty upset, and he's telling God. And I would encourage you to, as a believer, if you're upset, explain to God, communicate your heart to God why you are upset. I would encourage you to do that. Turn over to Psalm 13 and look at verses 1 and 2. Again, similar to Psalm 10. The psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? Have you ever felt like that? That is, again, God's forgetting about me. He's not answering my prayer, and it's been 20 years or longer, in Rafe's case. <laughs> or how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Here's somebody who's praying and is just thinks they're just talking to themselves because God doesn't answer. Having sorrow in my heart all the day long, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Here's some 
a person who's struggling and hurting and probably upset with God because God's not answering. God's not doing what I think should be done. And I would encourage you, if that's where you're at, then tell God. Explain your heart to God, just like you would do with your mom or your dad or your spouse. If you're upset, you're going to tell them you're upset. Why? So that you can reconcile. If you read the rest of those psalms, in the end, the psalmist usually comes around and ends up praising God. And I believe that's what happens when we pray to God. Even when we're upset, God begins to speak to us in the midst of our prayers to turn our heart. So be intentional when you pray. Going back to our text. And be specific. Instead of using meaningless repetition in many words, be specific about what you're praying for. Whatever it is, you know, if... Instead of just saying, God, you know, uh, bless my children today, be specific about it. You know, God, protect my children and keep them safe today. That's a little more specific. Or, or God, bless the church at Renaissance. Well, what do you mean by that? Be specific in your prayers. None of us would talk to each other like that. We would be specific, I would hope. Express your desires. Express your wants. Express your thanks and your needs to God. And it's not because God doesn't already know what you want, what you need, what you're thankful for. Right? Look at what Jesus says in verse 7. Again, he says, When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God already knows what you need and what you you want. So you might go, why do I need to pray? Because again, it's a way that we communicate to God and it's a way that He communicates to us in the midst of prayer. And as you're praying, I promise you, God will conform your prayer to what He actually wants. Just like going back to the psalmist, when they're praying that they're so upset, as they're praying, their heart changes and you see that in the midst of the prayer. And they end up thanking God. I believe this is a way that God can speak to you as you're praying and you're expressing to Him that you're upset or what's going on and God speaks to you in the midst of that prayer and changes your heart. Again, it helps us to become aware also of what we're praying for when we're specific. Be specific about what you're praying for. That will help you understand a little more about what's going on in your life. Again, God already knows, but sometimes we don't truly know. And as you verbalize it, don't you start to get clarity on things? Don't sometimes you go, I just need to talk it out. It'll help me get it. The same way with God. When we're praying and we're praying about what's on our heart, God will kind of work that out and speak to us in that way. So the mode of prayer is to be intentional, be specific, and be honoring now. You might be thinking, wow, you're telling me to you know, get mad at God? Tell him what's wrong? Yes. I am. Look at the, but let me, I'll give you a warning here in a minute though. We're going to do it in a nice, (laughs) we're going to do it in a nice, reverent way. You know, just like you would with your spouse. I'm sure none of you yell at your spouse, right? You talk to them lovingly. I'm upset, honey. You did this to me. That's how I talk. No, just kidding. (laughs) Look at what he says, uh, Jesus says in verse 9. He says, pray then in this way. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very first thing that Jesus points out in prayer is to recognize that God is holy. That's what hallowed means. He is a holy God in heaven and he's separated from everything that is common. He is otherworldly. So when you approach God, know that. As a matter of fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, he says, guard your steps as you go into the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer up sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in your word or impulsive in your thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So when you approach God, again, it's okay to express your heart, but be reverent about it. Don't be cursing God and yelling at Him, because He says, be careful in your choice of words. He's in heaven, and you are on earth. I remember, uh, what's that movie, uh, Forrest Gump? Anybody see that movie? Where, uh, what's that guy, uh, Dan, what's his name? Lieutenant Dan's like screaming at God on the end of the boat. You know, I wouldn't encourage you to do that. But you get the picture. He's upset and he's cursing and yelling at God and challenging God. And how foolish must he look? But when you're upset, it's okay. God, I'm upset about this. Why didn't this happen? Why is this going on? Because you're honoring God. You're recognizing who God is. He's this holy and awesome God, the creator and maker and sustainer of all things. And I'm expressing my, my heart to him, even if I'm upset. But honor him in the process of doing that. Be reverent in your, po- in your, reproach, in your approach, approach to God. Honor God by asking or acknowledging for His rule to be done in your life. That's in the second part. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, we say this as believers, you know, in Jesus' name. Or not my will, Lord, but your will be done. As long as you mean that in your prayer, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I'm asking for. But, you know, not my will, but your will to be done in the midst of this. Jesus Himself said that as He was struggling with his impending death in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So again, understanding that we're approaching a holy God, the creator and sustainer of all things in our prayers, and he has the power to do all things. That's who you're praying to. So be intentional, be specific, and be honoring And this one might sound a little funny. Be needy. Be needy with God. I always tell my little son, you're too needy, man. Back off me. Always wanting everything. Every time you go in the kitchen, we got to hide. Because as soon as he hears something crinkle, I want some. (laughs) Dang it. They got a sneak in there. It's like, we don't do anything till after eight. Because that's when he's hopefully sleeping. But with God, be needy. Look at what he says in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 6. Give us, this is part of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's okay to ask God for the things that you need. Sometimes we think, oh, we can't ask God for anything. God's just going to do what he wants to do. 
No, Jesus is saying, ask God. This is the intent of this prayer right here. Ask God for your daily bread. Be needy. Express to God all that you need. What do you need today? Ask God. Why? Because He's your Heavenly Father and He cares for you. He wants to know. He wants to hear from you. Because He's the one who provides it for you. And in the process of being needy, you actually acknowledge that you need God. It's a way of honoring Him. I need you, Lord, even just to get to work safely. To glorify you in the midst of my day, whatever your prayer may be. Be needy with God. I've never seen in the Bible, and I can remember where God says, okay, that, you asked for way too much. You need to stop. God, I don't think God does that. If, if I'm wrong, then show me. But I, I haven't found it yet. But express all your needs to God. Again, you're acknowledging that His sovereign rule is over all things. He's the sustainer of all things. So you're asking for it. Whatever it may be. Next, be repentful. In verse 12 he says, And forgive us our debt as we also forgive our debtors. And that debt is talking about sin. We should be marked by forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness from God for what we've done. When we pray and when we come to God, we should be asking for forgiveness. The next one is a little tough. As he says, as we also forgive our debtors. So not only are you acknowledging that that you've sinned before God, but you're also kind of saying that I, I forgive other people too, Lord. So you're saying, God forgive me. Think of this. God forgive me as I forgive everybody else. Do you? This one might hit us below the belt. Have you forgiven everybody? But the wrongs that they did for you, are you still harboring some resentment towards that person? Yet you're expecting God to forgive you, but you won't forgive other people. As a matter of fact, if you look down at verse 14, Jesus, we didn't read this verse, but I'm going to read it because it's like a little commentary on this section. He says, For if you forgive others by their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You're going to ask for forgiveness, but you don't forgive other people? That's hypocritical, isn't it? Matter of fact, in another section, he goes, don't even come to worship. If you have something against your brother and you're coming to offer your sacrifices, leave that sacrifice here and go forgive your brother. Go get that situated first. The one that always gets me, and I always give this to husbands during a, a marriage counsel or premarital counseling. Hey, guess what? You want, it, you want your prayers to be hindered? What do you do? Come on, husbands. Fight with your wife. He says, and your prayers will be hindered. You better go fix that first before you go pray to God, husbands. And that works for wives, too, by the way. Dang it. You're like, I was out for that one. Get that? The point is, is we should be forgiving. We're Christians. We've experienced the greatest forgiveness of all. How could we not forgive a trifle sin against us compared to the great sin that we've committed against God? Be repentful. We need to be forgiving of others. And lastly, be helpless. Look at what verse 13 says. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We need to understand that we are helpless against our enemy without the strength of God. We need to be asking God to preserve us against temptation, spare us from temptation, and deliver us out of temptation. That's the gist of what Jesus is saying here. Realize that you need God to help you in your spiritual battle every day. Be helpless. Don't think that you can stand on your own, right? The scripture says what about those who think they could stand alone? Be careful, right? You may fall. Again, the idea is to be dependent on our Heavenly Father for our spiritual strength and ask God to help us in the battle. So our prayers need to be intentional, specific, honoring. We need to be needful, repentful, and helpless. Those are the prayers that Jesus are saying that we need to pray to our God. See, I told you I leave out thankfulness, just like that girl at Starbucks does. Because it's not here, but it has a different text. So the conclusion on the righteous prayer is this. Prayer is a way that we demonstrate our total dependence on God. And secondly, we glorify Him by acknowledging His sovereignty over every aspect of our life. Let's pray with those thoughts. Lord God, we're so thankful that You are above all, as we sung earlier. That You provide all things that you see all things, that you know all things. And may we as your children always remember to come before you to ask for all things. And may we also remember to come back and thank you for all things. Lord God, help us in our prayer life on a daily basis. I'm sure all of us would admit we could spend more time with God. But it's not so much the more time, it's just any time, Lord. In our motive, help our motives to be right as we cry out to you for help, for deliverance. And may we always be ever thankful for who you are and what you've given us. Lord God, we ask that you would be with us today by letting us feel your presence and always reminding us to pray. As your scripture says that we are to pray without ceasing. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we worship you now with a thankful heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.